every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People. I'm your host, Paul Smith, and each week, give or take, I'm joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia, authors and educators, to discuss two to four episodes of Joss Whedon's critically acclaimed series, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and its spin-off series, Angel. Uh, talking with me this time is Michael Holland, manager of television for Warner Brothers Post-Production Creative Services. Michael, uh, you are an esteemed guest. Thank you so much no. for joining me. <laughs> Not, that's very kind of you. Well, it's very kind of you to, uh, first of all, be listening to this podcast. I appreciate that very much. I, I adore every one of my handful of listeners out there. Uh, no, this is a really good show. And, and if I can glo- you know, gloat for you for two seconds, I'll Please tell do. you why. Because this show is so conversational in the best way. It really just feels like... Um, you know, friends got together, watched an episode, and are talking about it. No matter sort of the level of academia or the level of geekdom, you know, it's it. You know, Giles and Xander can be in the same room together, <laughs> and it's just friends talking about a show they love. And and even the rabbit holes are conversational and educational, but they're fun. And you know, and you do it so seemingly. I know it's hard work, but you do it so seemingly effortlessly that you know, kudos. Kudos to you and all the guests. Well, thank you. I'm blushing. It doesn't show on the podcast, but I'm blushing. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, so, uh, Michael, why don't you tell us a little bit, uh, since this is your first time on the show, why don't you give us a little yes. background? What's your history with uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I go back to the first run. Um, I had a friend of mine who worked at WB, the network. Um, and keep in mind when I say worked there, we were 20 or 21 at the time, so it was, you know, nothing glamorous. But she said, there's the show I think you'll like. And I thought, sure, okay, because at 20 or 21, you're thrilled to have any inside scoop from a network. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember calling up another friend of mine, and he came over, and I think it was originally Monday nights. I think so, yeah. And he and I watched it, and I was immediately hooked um, because we all, I think, had the movie in our heads – um, and, and rewatching the movie now, I do enjoy it mostly for Paul Rubens. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, and there is a great comic book adaptation of Joss original script, um, which is totally worth finding if, it, if you can. Um, but this show had the tongue in cheek, but it also had the appropriate seriousness right away or, you know, seriousness for 97. Um, but yeah, I was, I was immediately hooked. Uh, and then I was super lucky. This is still 97. Uh, not a lot of people had heard of the show yet, but there was this small convention at the Shrine Auditorium here in Los Angeles, and I heard Buffy, you know, the show was going to be there. 
So I went and there was this little table off to the side where some people just sort of sat waiting. And they said their names were Nicholas Brendan and Allison Hannigan and the writer, I guess, Josh Whedon. <laughs> and then we, I guess it's Joss with two S's. Um, and there was no there was no line. I mean, there was nobody around. Um, so I got one of the studio promo posters signed and I got to tell them I liked the show. And they were you could see they were just sort of flabbergasted. They were delighted and so genuinely, like sweetly pr- pleased that someone was watching their show. Oh, it was it was a more innocent time. (laughs) And then by season two and eventually along with Angel, I was hosting viewing parties um, back when you still had to race somewhere to see something. Right. And you had to yell it's on after a commercial break. (laughs) I miss. Uh, And then, you know, I didn't know how lucky I'd be to get to work with Joss briefly uh, on his episode of Glee. And season two of Dollhouse, um, and then Ali on Penn and Teller Fool Us, and now I get to chat with you, um, and I get to you know be a fan all over again and learn from your far more knowledgeable <laughs> guests, um, and it's just nice that in 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 uh, all of these sort of you know small little ways for all of us, Buffy's been really really good to us. Well, that's awesome. That it's so cool that you got to work with uh, Joss and Ali and. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, what did you do on those shows? Do you mind? No, 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 no. It's, it's, um, I'm the manager. Well, it's, it's different for different shows, of course, but currently I'm the manager of television for Warner brothers, post-production creative services, right. which is the really fancy cocktail party way of saying I, I produce TV post-production. Um, clients bring their show to the Warner brothers, uh, on lot post house and I oversee it for them. Um, the nice thing about us or the, or the fun thing about us is we're considered third party, which means we don't just handle Warner brothers work. We do empire for Fox and we do Bosch for Amazon and Brockmire for IFC. We did dear white people for Netflix and a bunch of others. That is awesome. Yeah. So again, I'm just really lucky that I get to play with television shows all day. So cool. So cool. (laughs) Yeah. Um, my my closest thing to sort of an an industry in with anything involving Buffy is that uh, um, for uh, for a while my best friend in the world was the regular inker on the Buffy comics through its various oh. through its various iterations, and so when the comic Fray was coming out, uh, he was the inker on that. And I love that comic. So yeah, it was fantastic. So I actually got to read that stuff like i got to read the scripts and i got to uh like w- sit in the room and watch him while he was inking over the original pencils and that kind of stuff so like <laughs> that's as close as i've ever gotten to the the back room of oh that's stuff. awesome but, I'm, I'm jealous and I, you know. it was cool did, did you have any of his original inks uh i do we have uh we have one page one original page from frey uh that he gifted to us actually and uh oh. my wife and i and uh, it is somewhere. We've moved since we got it, so I don't think we've hung it. <laughs> I think it's in a closet somewhere. But yeah, anyways. yeah, yeah. That's yeah awesome. No, that that was a great book. That was a great book. Yeah, um, that's. I, I think you and I talked about this off air, but um, there's a part of me that is just kind of hoping that's what they do with the Buffy uh, reboot. Right. Is is just do a, a wholly different adventure in the same 
you know, universe. Yeah. So. I mean, I, I, I feel like they almost have to. They have to find some way. I mean, who knows? They can do whatever the hell they want. They don't need me telling them what to do. But <laughs> I feel like they have to find a way to kind of bottle whatever this new show is going to be. Because if they try to keep any sort of any sense of continuity with the in canon comic book series that has followed yeah. the the end of the television series man that yeah. is a that's a bunch that's a lot yeah. that they'll have to take into account so i don't know how you do that on a television budget yeah, although sure. we don't although we don't know where this is going yet so we don't know what the budget's going to be but yeah no i mean i i i i'm i'm absolutely curious and i'm absolutely behind it and and until you know <laughs> until they drop something on us i'm going to remain hopeful yeah um all right so let's uh you're you're actually <laughs> you're actually cowering in your office right now to provide this podcast uh I, yeah I, i'm not cowering I, well, like, okay okay you I were close the door you were yeah. standing defiantly in your office <laughs> avoiding adult responsibility so you can yeah, talk about well. this silly show with me on my silly podcast so oh, great. let's uh i appreciate that let's get into this i don't want to hold you back uh, any further um so time for the dreaded spoiler warning conversations with dead people is not a typical rewatch and review podcast we're going to be exploring the plots characters and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole that means spoilers and lots of them so i recommend if you haven't already watched buffy the vampire slayer and angel the series all the way through at least once you press pause on this silly podcast right now and go do that um you know, I'll do my best. We will do our best. Michael, I'm sure, is going to be entertaining. I'm just <laughs> the host, but I'll do what I can to make this a, a fun and interesting podcast, regardless. But I think it'll be. More, I think you'll get more out of it if you've seen the show before you listen to us talk about it. But whatever, you do you. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, with all of that, I, mean, uh, I always say, I always say, anybody can review a movie they've seen. Right. But, you know, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Review a movie you've never seen before. Go for it. Um, I'm sure there are websites out there that do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways, with all the business out of the way, Michael, if you're ready, let's go to work. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, it's no grand, we're talking about Revelations and Lover's Walk. Yes. Um, um, and I, I don't think it's a grand revelation of our own, I'm afraid, but this, you know, Revelations is about trust. Um, who has it and who breaks it and the repercussions thereof. Um, what I took away from this viewing just overall before we get into the fun of the thing uh is how much fairly heavy plot is at least laid out during a fairly standalone monster of the week albeit i i think a pretty fun monster of the week so there's this mix of big mythology stuff um scoobies know that angel's back giles and buffy have their moment giles and the watchers council kind of have their first inkling of a rift and there are certainly the you know the first real rifts with faith, but they still manage to balance that all with this magical glove lady watcher villainy twist stuff. Um, and then it also feels like a setup to Lovers Walk, the way in volleyball you set for someone to spike, mm -hmm. pun intended, I guess. <laughs> um, and and even way beyond Lovers Walk, um, you know, here we learn about Buffy and Angel, but. While that's big and it's played appropriately big, there's the blow coming up with Oz and Cordy that's played even bigger and is and is I think a little bit more sustaining and has a lot more of the of the rifting for them. So and then when when Wesley's introduced 
everyone keeps him at bay much further and longer, even Giles, than if Mrs. Post hadn't been here. So this feels, I think, in a good way, like the onion starting to peel. Um, and, and, and starting to make your eyes water a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, and and there was a guest during season one um, that said each season's episode seven was a big deal. Right. Yeah. And I'm sorry that I'm not quoting that well. Um, well, this is season three's episode seven, um, and that is that guest's you know astuteness ain't wrong. Um, there is a there is a turn here. Um, when and by the way, I was just going to mention Nikki Stafford. By the way, um, thanks very much for putting me up against two episodes of her. <laughs> <laughs> no, no pressure. No. Oh, oh, thanks. No, no uh, pressure. You got this. You got this. But when um, when Nikki had her great Buffy rewatch in 2011, I I wrote for Bad Girls, which is coming up in this season, mm-hmm. that we were in the change, and I think today's ep is indeed the beginning of that change. Yeah. Shoes are dropping all over the place in both of these episodes. Um, and you're right. Revelations in particular, but, but kind, kind of both of these, um, are sort of monster of the week ish episodes. Interestingly in revelations, the monster element of the monster in the week is really like, a complete misdirect. <laughs> like yeah, totally. uh, Lagos, the demon uh, amounts to practically nothing in in the yeah. grand scheme. Since the actual monster of the episode is Gwendolyn Post, misses. Um, misses, yes. But uh, I think Revelations is a prime example of the. Well, we've talked about this on the show before. It's the, but this is a prime example of one of those stories that would have been much more difficult to pull off today in the age of like cell phones and FaceTime and things like that. A lot lot of this, this particular series, you know, gets away with a lot because we don't have that, that that immediate intimacy. Yeah. I mean, but this, I I remember thinking particularly while Gwendolyn post was given the whole, the watchers council has sent me to check up on you and to watch over all of this or whatever, like today Giles would just need to jump on Skype or pick up his phone and call and say, Oh, she was fired two years ago. All right, thanks. Thanks for the heads yeah. up. I mean, but also, P.S. I mean, we we eventually see like an entire Wetworks team come mm-hmm. out of the council, and they just decide to be like, "Oh, Gwendolyn, you're really dangerous, so you're just out." Right. Like, yes. Hacking her. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I, I don't. Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> I, I don't think we get anything more on Gwendolyn. I think this is, I think Gwendolyn's one and done. I don't think we get any uh, more revelations about her in future episodes, yeah. but it is, it is curious to think if, was she actually like fired? Is that an, is that an oversimplification? Uh, yeah. I, or... mean, I mean, I think there's the joke at the end of like, doesn't like Giles say they swear there was a memo. Yeah. 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 You know, but I, that's kind of what I even mean about the very first rift of, of Giles and, and even the Watchers Council. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot that's just sort of touched on here that even he gets his first, like, why what, Why didn't I know about this? What are what are they not telling me? And it's a lot of big, like I say, the onion is just starting to peel as we get closer and closer to graduation. Yeah. And, it's, you know, and a lot of this, honestly, is hindsight. You have to have seen the whole season to get back to this and go, oh, there's that. Oh, there's that. Yeah. Um, so Gwendolyn... Uh, 
Gwendolyn Post misses is played here by <laughs> Serena Scott Thomas, uh, who, you know, in, in my mind, having not revisited this episode as much as maybe some of the others, like rewatching it. I just rewatched these last night and rewatching this. I, it felt like I hadn't seen this episode as much as I've seen many of the others. So anyways, in the back of my mind, I always thought that this was Kristen Scott Thomas, who was actually, oh. who's actually her sister. Correct. So when, uh, when she popped up, I was like, this doesn't look anything like Kristen Scott Thomas. <laughs> who is this? <laughs> so anyways, I, that was interesting for me but um i i'm sure she's a lovely person i'm sure she's a wonderful actress but i really strongly strongly dislike gwendolyn post so it was difficult oh, yeah. for me uh to watch you, you mean just because she's because she's so evil you just don't like her because well because she's dislikable but uh you know there are a lot of characters that are intentionally that are like written to be dislikable and i can still get behind those characters uh oh. Gwen, gwendolyn post is definitely uh, written to be dislikable uh, yeah. But she also just happens to be a character I'm not especially fond of. I, I do like this episode. I think the the uh, glove of Minigon is an interesting um, MacGuffin. Uh, I think the effects, like, it's not on, we don't get to see it being used very much in the final battle, but yeah. I thought it was pretty cool. I thought the Buffy's resolution to that situation was pretty dramatic. But um, yeah. yeah, just as... Like, I don't necessarily enjoy spending time with Gwendolyn Post. No, I think that that says a lot about the writing her, creating her, and making her, you know, a big deal. It's, 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 it's interesting that they, you know, this could have been just a fairly standalone monster of the week, but they were like, what if we bring in a, uh, another watcher? What if we make her evil? What if we, and I just think it gives them a lot of credit and to her performance as well, that it's, she is so sort of dislikable and memorable and it's just, it's one more little just icing on a, on a, what could have been just been a monster of the week cake. You know? mm -hmm. And I, I think you make a very good point that, uh, like they chose to bring in the writers chose to bring in, by the way, this is written by Douglas Petrie. And I, I can't remember. I don't think this is his first. I think it credit. is his first. It is his first. Writer? Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I think officially he was a story editor. And okay. Yeah. Was certainly around for a long time, but I think it's his first credit. Yeah. Um, so they, they decided to, given the, I will in air quotes, call it the metaphor of the episode, but really there's not very much metaphorical in this episode. Yeah. It's all pretty thematic and on the nose, but yeah. um, given the, the themes of this episode with secrets and mistrust and, and revelations and stuff like that, uh, they did decide to bring the Watcher's Council into it and make the Watcher's Council, not no, Watcher's Council, not necessarily uh, like responsible or culpable for this technically since she's not a watcher anymore um yeah. but you're absolutely right it does give giles um a, a seat at the table of people who are feeling feeling like they've been misled by people yeah. they trust or whatever yeah. so and i think it's a great great setup for wesley i don't think i don't think wesley's introduction and him sort of representing the pillar of the watchers council and what that could mean to buffy and faith would mean half as much if you didn't have this this blatant mistrust with the Watchers Council set up now. Right. And um, I think that's good. That's just good sort of series plotting. Yeah. Man, I cannot wait to get to Wesley. <laughs> no, I love him. I adore I, Wesley. And, and as much as, as he was wonderfully, comically, beautifully frustrating on this, by the time he gets to Angel, you just, I mean, adore him, I think. But. Yeah. So I, I, I've mentioned, I think, 
uh, once or twice on the podcast that I know at least one person, like I'm, I'm on speaking terms with at least one person who I know is listening to this podcast, having not seen Buffy before. Buffy wow. or Angel. They, they are watching along with us as we discuss, but I've told them many, many times, you know, really, you should just watch the show and then come back. But they're like, no, 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 yeah. I, I want to I play along with you guys. So, um, well, now, now I feel bad. There, there is no rogue demon hunter. <laughs> no, no, no. They, um, there is no. <laughs> we Don't worry about that. We mentioned many times on the podcast, this is a spoiler <laughs> podcast. I've told her, yeah, we're going to spoil stuff. So anyways, she claims that she doesn't care about spoilers, which is fair. In the real world, I don't care about spoilers either. Spoilers don't tend to spoil me, but I'm, sure. I want to be super careful. At any rate, um, I had, I have recently, you know, obviously we've, we've gotten to the point in the series where faith has been introduced. And I have mentioned to her that faith, uh, I think I just mentioned casually and and I'm sure I've said on the show that faith goes on to become one of my favorite characters in the Mm -hmm. entire series. And her reaction the other day was really, (laughs) I was like, I didn't get any more into it, but I was like, uh, yeah, she really does. And so, uh, when Wesley, we... certainly, and yes. especially if all you know of Wesley is, is like the first three, four, whatever episodes of this season. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I, I'm expecting a similar response when I, when, when she meets Wesley in the series and I'm like, yep, he is my favorite character in yeah. the entire series. So let that, you know, let that resonate. Yeah. yeah. Just sit with that for a little while and wonder where that's going. But yeah. anyways, um, so earlier in this season, we got the uh, the lovely, you know, fun, happy-go-lucky episode, Dead Man's Party. Yeah. Uh, where um, the the Scooby gang got to, like, unleash on Buffy. Yeah. And um, a lot of viewers were super uncomfortable with that, probably yeah. rightly so. I I didn't remember being as uncomfortable with it as I wound up being on this rewatch. But anyways... Yeah. It was pretty rough. Uh, so not that many episodes later, we get basically another scene of the same mm-hmm. thing. However, mm-hmm. I feel like, so Xander... But, I, but in, a, in a way, it's justifiable because they think right. that Angel's gone. And now it's like, holy, right. there's a whole much much bigger thing. So blah, blah, blah. But yeah. yeah, no, I... I we could we could make excuses for the Scooby Gang and even maybe Xander in Dead Man's Party, I guess. Um, but really, they were kind of overreacting uh, back then. Yeah. But the yeah. the the whole thing with Angel is a little more justifiable, and I feel like it's handled much better here. Xander still comes off just the tiniest bit yucky, uh, if, you know. In oh, he in, totally does. In Especially any with with the faith stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, I mean, even just throwing Jenny Calendar into Buffy's face. Yeah. Uh, again, I, when I find myself watching the show going, oh, you son of a bit. You know, when I, when I really start to get upset with this, I have to remind myself, he's supposed to be a teenager. He's supposed to be an idiot. So, yeah. Um, but, uh, but the rest of the group, uh, I felt like, you know, this went much more. I mean, Buffy probably didn't feel like it went better than Dead Man's Party, but I, I just felt like here's another let's confront Buffy with her bad behavior scene. Uh, but this one didn't feel quite as gross to me. Yeah. You know, and, and there's, there's the, there's a, there's a few great moments here. One is, you know, Giles being mature enough to say that's enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she made a mistake. We're going to move on. Um, and it does sort of break the tension down. And then 
there is the moment, you know, in his office mm-hmm. where he says, okay, you know, in private, right. but I need to tell you, <laughs> you know, this is not appropriate to be hashing out maybe with, you know, 12 other people, but I need to remind you of what happened here and the fact that, and that alone was, was big, but then he gets to, and you don't respect me as a, as a watcher, you know, this, this became about duty and be, you know, and about, you know, this and, and it's, and it is the, the grand, you know, horrifically, you know, uh, gut turning, you know, father daughter conversation, um, that they have. And it's, it's, it's very, very big. Yeah. You have no respect for me or for the job I perform. Yeah. yeah um, yeah, I'm glad but you point, I'm glad you pointed out he did it. Fact that, you know, that's all. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah, that he, that he takes her aside before he does that. It's very it's very cool. And it also um it just we've seen multiple examples in the past of I think even in Dead Man's Party where everyone is really ripping on Buffy and in kind of in private Giles always you know, is supportive of her and always says, mm-hmm. you know, you'll get nothing but nothing from me, but res- my respect Buffy and yeah. stuff like that. That's very, very moving and very touching. And so yeah. for Giles to have reached this point, I mean, he's so, he's so stayed and buttoned up, buttoned up um, <laughs> that this is sort of the equivalent of, of him having a Xander meltdown where he just yeah. lets it slip that uh, he's very, very disappointed in her and feels yeah. like she has no respect for him. Yeah, and one of the great things about the show, I think, is that Joss very, very specifically does not, you know, wrap things up quickly. Things, they they really do arc for a while. I mean, we could have come out of the season two finale and into season three, you know, and sort of gotten them to this point by episode one, Mm -hmm. frankly, or episode two. And the fact that we get Anne... And then we get Dead Man's Party. And then by season seven, it's still lingering. Um, I think it's sort of a testament to the writing, too, that they don't just kind of wrap things up. It's like, no, you pissed me off three weeks ago. And, you know, maybe I'm being a child, but that still hurts. Um, And then I also think it's a testament to their writing in general that – we, the audience, are are sort of so hurt or so upset or whatever that our our Scoobies are disenfranchised that we're like, no, no, you need to get back together and be friends and be <laughs> quippy and, you know. I think that's a testament to the writing and the acting and, and whatever, too, that we're so invested that something as silly as, you know, Xander throwing out Miss Calendar, we all go back to passion and go, oh, yeah, man, that was bad. You right. Know, please, please kiss and make up, you know? <laughs> um, so let's see. What else have I got for this? Okay. I, I, Willow's, I love Willow's I statements only. Yeah, no one's using their I statements, Giles. <laughs> Will, Willow is just precious to me. Willow is adorable. And uh, it, it meant a lot to me that Willow... Like Giles obviously is the adult in the situation, and he demonstrates that by by not confronting her in front of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Willow, now granted, there's sort of a an ulterior motive here, or there 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 are yep. some hidden reasons for Willow to be this way. But Willow also is the is the other one in the group that seems the most sort of mature. She's the one who's most willing to just accept Buffy's apology and get back to being friends with her. Yeah. Um, 
but you're, you're right. She is she is sort of you know laying her own groundwork of I I need to tell you something too. Right. Secrets yeah. are good. Secrets are good. Yeah. Secrets are healthy. Everyone has secrets. Yeah. Um, and I love Xander's. What you just tripped and fell on his lips. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> which is which I think is a callback to Last Boy Scout. Oh. Which, which um, I think um, Bruce Willis says. I, mean, I don't know if I'll say it, but he says a, a much sort of cruder version of that line uh-huh when his Man, wife being on him yeah but, no i haven't uh i haven't uh, seen that in forever so i don't know but um uh, yeah i want to talk i kind of i want to talk about the the sort of illicit smooching that's going on between willow and xander but i guess that's mostly in the next episode but i, I will just ask you uh like how do you remember how you felt about all of this when it was when you were watching it the first time, and how do you feel about it now? I guess what I'm asking is, are you annoyed by this whole love triangle or quadrangle or tetrahedron or whatever the heck it is, um, or no, do you enjoy it? I, I absolutely think it played differently when we were in our early 20s than we are in our early. Well, you know, I've been 39 for four years now, so <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, um, it's, it is very different now. Um, but you know, it, it was written at a different time and I think it's, I think you have to have, you know, a show about teenagers have teenagers have some teenage stuff in it. Um, you know, there's also a part of me, um, that sort of looks over the, the entire course of a season and you go, man, I have to come up with like 20 hours of material. Um, so the fact that they sort of do this as well as they do each and every week, even with little moments that you go, um, you're really going to go there. Okay, sure. Fine. Um, because you know, the seemingly annoying, you know, you know, like you say, this is sort of love triangle does eventually, I mean, just crash. I mean, again, pun intended, I guess, become crashing down, you know, in the very next episode. So mm-hmm. it isn't just, you know, uh, he broke my heart or I now have to deal with this or blah, blah, blah. It's, I mean, there are real you know, repercussions um, that come from it. So, so typically Joss is pretty good about, you know, um, paying something off that might seem innocuous at a, at a time. So, you know. I, yeah, I, I'm being unreasonable, I think. And I, I admit that um, because on a, on, previous episodes of this podcast i've talked about how how i roll my eyes at the the teenage love triangle stuff uh when it happens i've moved past that in my life i don't care to watch that in my fiction generally and i i'm being unfair it is an important integral part of the this series it leads to some amazing stuff it's it's kind of necessary for the story that we get to go through this it's also realistic for these these characters as they're as they're built they're teenagers um I'm I'm being unreasonable because in the not too distant past, in the in in the recent past, um, my other podcast, one of my other podcasts, The Avatar Returns, we discussed uh, the Legend of Korra, the first season of Legend of Korra. I don't know if anyone has seen that, but there's what? a there is a love triangle aspect to that that's introduced, and it is um, I I absolutely adore that series and everything about it except the love triangle, which did not. Um, 
was not as necessary, <laughs> was not as integral as uh, Joss and company make it in this series. So even though I adore The Legend of Korra, I struggled through that element of that series and it frustrated me. And so now I'm just sort of hypersensitive to that. So I nitpick here about it, about the whole uh, Xander and Willow stuff. Um, but in reality, you were absolutely correct. It's done, it's done well. Um, it's well written. The characters are, the, the actors are tremendous. They pull it off. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it absolutely is essential to some of the, the deep, dark gut wrenching stuff that is to come in this series. Yeah, and you know, and again, I think it's one of those just sort of easier anchors to an audience, you know, you know, to to sort of to buy some of the magic or buy some of the demon demonology to be like, oh, here's a love story, here's a breakup story, here's a these are the things that we just very naturally, you know, link to Mm -hmm. in a story. So I think it's it's sort of in that respect, it's certainly appropriately peppered with the with the fun magic stuff mm-hmm. um and I, I forget who it is but maybe it's even buffy she just goes you know it's another tuesday night in sunnydale yeah um, it's buffy yeah. And, and um you know so the line is funny because it's you know it's just like oh well this is kind of what we do and this is what's happening but we're also self-aware of it and i think that was the first reference to them being on tuesday nights maybe which is also just funny yeah, when that when that line popped up, I was like, "Oh, they revisit that in uh, in once more, once more with feeling." Yeah, which is great. Absolutely. So, uh, some groundwork is laid for Faith and her larger story here. After a couple episodes, I feel like where we didn't really have any or or much Faith. I can't remember. Yeah if she was in the last couple episodes, but anyways, faith is introduced in this season and I talk about how much I love her. And then we don't get an awful lot of her in these early episodes, but in revelations, we, we get some faith and we get, uh, you know, uh, her being, we get, um, Gwendolyn sort of getting into her head and, and messing with her a little bit. And ultimately that leads to her feeling betrayed and alone again. Like it just emphasizes, a little bit of what Faith's headspace is like, yeah. um, which obviously foreshadows where that character is about to be going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's another thing that I thought of just in rewatching it. This may be the closest we've seen her as friends to them, mm-hmm. and then in the same episode, that all comes crashing down. Right. Yeah. I think it's kind of the closest that Buffy and Faith sort of have a chat, like at the beginning. Mm-hmm. If, yeah, walking through town. Yeah, and Faith legitimately, I think sincerely, just asking her about boys, and she's talking about her exes, and it, it feels like a chat. And even when Gwendolyn Post, Mrs. Gwendolyn Post, um, you know, she kind of makes a crack at Giles. Even Faith goes, "He's okay." Like, right. Yes. You know, I mean, man, I felt I was genuinely, I was, I'm such a sap. I was genuinely moved by that. I, I yeah. like, kind of caught my breath when she was like, "Giles is okay." I was like, "Oh my yeah. god, that's so adorable." Yeah, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is all. This is sort of the best of it and the beginning of the worst of it mm-hmm. in the same episode." So to your point, yeah, I think they pepper her, I think, really well, and then all of a sudden it's like, "Okay, here she is, and I'm going to rip her away from you at the same time." Yeah, or uh, rip, gonna rip her away from them at the same. time. Yeah, I guess that was possibly the revelation for me in this episode was um, how 
like how this was built up with faith because I my memory was that faith kind of came on the scene almost fully formed and that we got just very few episodes of her trying to be friends with the group and then that doesn't work out and she goes where she goes um, so I was surprised on this rewatch I've been surprised at how sort of spot uh, spotinly Spot. to, to use her pronunciation which Nikki warned me about uh, yeah. how spotinly she's uh, peppered through these early episodes and so for me at least I mean obviously the big uh you know mile marker of the series is this is the episode where everybody finds out Angel's back but for me it's just seeing this uh this pin put in the yep. faith storyline so yeah and I, I do love the Spartan line because <laughs> so great because it's it's so, it's such like deft writing which I'm a huge fan of but I you know you you really don't think that faith knew what the Spartans were prior yeah. to post telling her. So I, I love that line because she feels like she might even be saying something, you know, witty or saying something knowledgeable and whatever, because post told her that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so it's got this like entendre of, yeah, it's real Spartan. <laughs> She's, I don't know that she knows really what it means. No, I don't think she does. It's, just, it's so beautiful that she's even, even in, at the end, she's kind of clawing for, for something there. Mm -hmm. um, a way I to think, fit in, a way to fit yeah, in. Yeah, it's just so funny. I love that. Um, last thing I think maybe that I have to say about this episode is, um, man, oh man, oh man, this, <laughs> this is one of those episodes that really features the, um, some of the worst concealing that it's actually Buffy's stunt double fight sequences oh, <laughs> in the yeah. entire season yeah. or in the entire series. Maybe uh, I've joked before about how every once in a while Buffy will do a spin kick and you can, you can briefly see on camera well, that was not Sarah Michelle Geller, but yeah. um, it, it, there are certain fight sequences in this episode where it doesn't look like they're even trying to yeah. hide that fact. Like, uh, yeah. I know she's got the same stunt double throughout the whole series. I cannot remember the the stunt double's name, but I apologize. I should look that up before I record another episode. But there, there are some scenes where it looks like she she actually pauses to get some FaceTime. Yeah, but but they always they always they'll, they'll put in the um, the Buffy grunt. Mm -hmm, yeah, you know, or the or the land or the oof or the whatever. But you're like, wow, that was just added for. I'm not really sure why because it's not her. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, still fun though. Still fun. It um, is fun, and and I do. I think you even mentioned it before, but I just I I do love that she slices the arm off. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is great. Which is which is a little bit prescient to. Um, I think it's the Angel season one finale. Um, season one finale where he he um, he throws the axe and takes. Um, Christians is a Christian King takes his arm off. Oh God. Is that the, is yeah, that the his hand. Yeah. His hand take his hand off. Yeah. I thought it was great. And he's slicing off. And then if, if you want to go like super geek, you know, I, I thought this same thing. And I thought this while I was watching this episode where I was like, why didn't they just do that to Thanos in infinity? War? <laughs> he's and, got, he's got really tough skin. I guess, but I was like, they're constantly, you know, like Strange is constantly opening up a portal that people are kind of jumping in and out of. I'm like, put a portal around his arm and and they and they'd actually preface it earlier in the film with some with with uh, the guy getting his arm cut off when the portal closes. Yes. Yeah, 
Yeah, so I went, oh, that's going to that's gonna be a setup. So they're going to try that with Thanos and it's going to fail or whatever. And then I'm like, wow, you did not just guys. <laughs> well, when when Strange saw like every possible outcome, he probably saw them try that a few hundred thousand there, times yeah. and it never worked. So, <laughs> yes, yes, that was the great out. Yeah. I was like, well, guys, I've seen it all. <laughs> the, every, so here's the here's the secret. Every single one of those uh, alternate possibilities, all the. I can't remember 15 million or whatever that uh, strange yeah. saw those will yeah. all, they were all filmed and they will all be extras on the DVD. Perfect. I mean, so, there you go. It's an entire box set just for this. Film. Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, all right. So unless there's anything else about this one, um, we can move on to lover's walk, which was yeah. uh, written by Dan Weber, directed by Dev- David Semmel. Um, and yeah. So, so this... really quickly on, on David Semmel, uh-huh. um, if I'm not mistaken, he uh, also directed a lot of the uh, original 90210. Oh, okay. So, so, which that is the same high school as Torrance High School. So, oh, for uh, real? Yeah. So David Semmel knew <laughs> knew this high school really well. <laughs> I, I didn't. I don't think I ever knew that. That it. Was, I feel like that's something I must have heard somewhere, but it doesn't ring a bell. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, 90210 and Sunnydale are, the, are both torrents. So why, was, why was there never a crossover? What the hell? Right? Mm. Yeah. Um, you kind of get it with Luke Perry in the movie? I guess. I guess. That's, that's also on the uh, Infinity War box set, which is really strange. <laughs> Makes no sense. Oh, I can't wait. Um, all right. So, you know, Lover's Walk, I think, is another lots of plot happening balanced with a fairly standalone monster of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a demon comes into town because he needs something from mm-hmm. the hell mouth, except today's demon just happens to be, you know, cue the sex pistols spike. Yes. Uh, um, who in a fairly comedic return, um, he's drunk and forlorn and pissed off because drew left him, you know, practically steals the show. Um, which a, I, which I for one would say he often does when he's on the show. Yeah, in 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 fact, in fact a bit like Revelations, this app is is an, another great balance of sort of the heavy with the fun. Um, mm-hmm. um, in today's case, the melodrama that is always wonderfully uh, Spike. Yeah, this is then, kind of we we'd gotten a little bit of Spike as sort of the hapless. Uh, you know, straight man, the butt of jokes when he yeah. was confined to the wheelchair, but not much. I feel like this is the, the official introduction of this like spike 2.0 that we're going to get, or maybe 1.5, we'll call yeah. it 1.5 that we're going to get for a little while. Okay. Sadly, spoiler alert for my, for the one person I know who's listening, <laughs> who has not seen the rest of the show yet. This is all we get of spike in this season. Yeah. Uh, breaks my heart to say that, but he will be back. He will be back. Um, and when when we get him back for a little while, this is kind of the spike we're going to have, sort of the comedic, um, you know, the 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 sinister class clown. I guess it's difficult yeah. to say sinister class clown in a world that has it. But anyways, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think he was. I think they're already prepping for Angel the series, and mm-hmm. they knew they had to replace the Cordyisms mm-hmm. with somebody. And, and I think they very smartly did that with Spike. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, like, like I was saying with Gwendolyn, Mrs. Gwendolyn Post coming you know, in using her in the last one, they use Spike here really well to when they're really going to 
you know, dig into that onion, they just started peeling, they do it with somebody that we know. And they do it so that when he punches them with the brilliance, and we can get there later or whatever, but the brilliant speech in the magic shop, of oh, yeah. the, you know, it's from somebody that we know. It's from somebody that we know knows them um, as opposed to just a monster of the week. So I think even, again, series plot-wise, his, his one moment here in the season is used really well. So... Um since we're talking about Spike, well, no, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll get to him. We'll get to him. Um, I, I wanted to call out, uh, we sort of poke fun at this series, uh, so much now here in the, in the more enlightened age of 2018. Ha, we sort of poke fun at all of the anachronisms or whatever, that how a lot of the stuff in this show doesn't really hold up or whatever. Sure. Um, the fact that, you know, nobody has cell phones and the, the ones who do have cell phones, it's like carrying around a boom box basically. Yeah. Um, but like I would say that Willow, so Willow makes a Cletus, the slack jawed yokel reference, <laughs> yeah. which, which it's hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious, but that should feel dated at this point as so much of the other stuff in the show does. Um, but possibly thanks to the state, the current state of American politics um, is not, is not quite as dated as I would like it to be. Yeah. And, it, and it's no longer as funny as it should be. Right. Yes. Yes. That's true. Um, but, but yeah. You know, and then, you know, we've just barely survived the revelation that angels alive and Buffy's known all along and they're gasp kissing again. Mm-hmm. The real revelation cuts even deeper, which is Oz and Cordy, you know, seeing Xander and, and Willow, um, which is its own huge, huge, huge thing. But then as if all that isn't enough. I mean, my God, Giles is legitimately hurt in the last step and Cordy is legitimately hurt in this one. Um, but if all that isn't enough, we get another spectacular moment with, I have to agree, he's the greatest big bad of them all, the mayor, being yes. wonderfully mayory. Um, yes. And he's only in it for like two minutes or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, my my uh, my friend who's has not seen the show, who's following along with us, um, I think maybe she also expressed a little bit of confusion at why, like, Nikki and I lost our crap over the mayor um and i mean what can i say you just gotta watch this you just gotta watch the season trust me the mayor is worth every every little dollop of scene that you get from him in these early episodes yeah and i think it's only just in band candy that it's just so typically mayor when he opens up the the case and he's just looking for scotch yeah he he pulls out the skull and he's like what did i do with that scotch god it's so good you know and but then talking about even deft writing um in this scene in in lover's walk you know there's these there's like three lines that explain so much which is like the police Mm cover-up um that he knew about spike last season you know and they very smartly quickly go well if he's the mayor he didn't just show up he was obviously the mayor all along so Mm -hmm. you know they, they at least give us give us like that marvel no prize of (laughs) yeah you know we're gonna explain that you know, he is he is known about this and he's been letting it go because he's been preparing for, you know, the ascension this whole time. And you go, all right, I'm in. I buy that. Sure. Yeah. 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 No, it's fantastic. Um, it's also 
like, like one of the things that makes the mayor so great is in in the last season we had gotten uh principal snyder we'd heard a few times him cryptically and and mm -hmm. f you know borderline fearfully mention the mayor or whatever like it was kind of it was seated early on and we were led to believe the mayor was going to be this big this big deal he was going to be really scary and then it's harry groner who's right. who's adorable i mean he turns so, out he turns out to be scary but god he's so adorable and fun um I, I will say if I, if I was trying to look for something to nitpick and this isn't really a nitpick, but it's just a question. Like when he, when he mentions the fact that he knows who spike is and he, he sort of offhandedly references, Oh, he was such a scamp last year or whatever. Yeah. Like what spike was trying to do last year <laughs> was actually like start the apocalypse, yeah. uh, which you would think would mess up the mayor's plans. Like the mayor's really prep in this town because he needs to ascend and if spike had succeeded in or or angelus if either one of them had succeeded in you know raising sure. a kothla or destroying the world or whatever again it's one of those questions that i can't help but ask why are you destroying the world you know <laughs> you live here yeah <laughs> so yeah, i mean then, then you can start to rabbit hole yourself and go did he have a hand in you know spike not always right. succeed did he have a hand in you know, Giles getting the phone call about the Akathla does, right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But yeah, and you're absolutely right. That would be great. See, now I want to see an alternate take from some of those episodes last season where uh, the mayor is orchestrating, making sure that the the Scooby gang has the information they need to stop Spike and Angelus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it was you and you said or it was in last week's podcast where it would be great to see this whole thing from somebody else's each episode from somebody else's point of view. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe I, were we saying that's what we want the reboot to be? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, anyways. All right. So spikes return. Oh, well, yeah. no, first let's talk about some SAT scores. Cause, sure. cause all right. Like I, I, that scene is fun and it's just a, you know, it's a sweet little moment with all of our characters that we love. Um, especially after the tension of last week, it's fun to mm -hmm. see them all on screen together, having fun talking about their scores and, you know, Xander being the lovable loser and the village idiot and that stuff. Yeah. Um, what I don't, so I get the joke, but I don't know if Buffy being a, a secret genius with a 1430 SAT score I don't know if that flies for me. How do you feel about that? Well, because it's, it's, there's a part. Okay, you know, it's it's funny because you see in. Sorry, I think it goes back to Band Candy as well when she's prepping for the SATs, and there's the whole connect the dot joke, uh -huh. where she's like, "We haven't had B in a while. Right, I'm just gonna yeah. put down B." Yeah. And you're kind of like, "Oh, there, you know, there's the there's the there's the sort of ditzy blonde cheerleader side of Buffy the Vampire Slayer." Um, and then in this one, they're like, oh, no, she's she's actually really smart. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I guess if we're supposed to, you know, and we I, I do, but if we're supposed to kind of buy in that she is the slayer and she is smart and she eventually should be a general, mm -hmm. um, it's it's nice that she's not always the ditzy one. Um, it's it's it. It isn't as big a sort of fun surprise as the fact that Cordelia aces yeah. practically aces the SATs, which I think is a lot more kind of uh, it's a lot more interesting because mm -hmm. Buffy's already the hero. So to you know 
to have Cordelia all of a sudden be smart, you're like, oh, well, okay. So you no, you're absolutely right. I have these weird comp complicated feelings on this that this podcast is possibly not the best place to get into i'll save this for therapy but but um like i this is the perfect time you you want to go back to the whole thanos thing yes exactly exactly Uh, no i I was gonna say that um you're you're 100 right it is sort of a, a funnier reveal or whatever that uh that cordelia is so good even though she told us i'm great at standardized tests she has yeah. given us that line before what i can't have layers yeah. um uh i love her too on angel sorry yes yes um but like you know as as self-centered and not ditzy cordelia is not really ditzy but as self-centered and and unconcerned with other people as Cordelia so often seems to be she at mm-hmm. least almost always is seen in a classroom whereas Buffy <laughs> Buffy like yeah, never skips is. every freaking class and does zero homework and and as you say we get the occasional scenes of her sort of living up to the the ditzy blonde stereotype that she's supposed to be you know uh, originally um, yeah yeah but um I don't know it, it's it's funny it's funny i guess that she gets a 1430 sat score seemingly without even really having to try but i don't know this is for my therapist um i don't don't think i don't think you're wrong sometimes sometimes you know every every series tries something and you go oh okay we're we're that's where we're going with this now okay mm -hmm. you know and i i I guess functionally the purpose it serves is to once again raise the question or, or maybe maybe for the first time to raise the question of this is theoretically, this is a way out for Buffy. Like she, absolutely. She has, they've already introduced another slayer. So even though they've, I don't think before this episode, they mentioned the possibility, well, maybe faith could just be the slayer and you could go live your life. Maybe they have, I don't remember, but they certainly do that here. And now they give her even more, of a reason to believe that she could just leave Sunnydale. She could go to the college of her choice anywhere. Yeah. And I, and again, I think series structurally, it, there's just nice common ground tension of, you know, saying to the audience, why doesn't she just blow off school, do nothing but train almost like we're, you know, we're about to get in the wish, mm-hmm. you know, why doesn't she just be the slayer all the time? Wouldn't she be a lot more uh, proficient at it if that's all she did and the fact is we want her to still be in school we want her to still be academic we have to eventually get you know to her graduation and you know we'll get we will we don't know this yet but we'll get to college and all that good stuff and i think that's that's a continuing good balance just for the character otherwise just become this warrior and that that's absolutely a thing that the show is trying to tell the audience because we've already we've already had the example of Kendra. Like it's already been established that the sort of regular uh, Slayer paradigm is that they don't live a They don't have a secret identity or whatever. Like they don't live a regular life. They are the Slayer 24 seven. They just work and train and slay and that's all they do. Um, and as the show has, has, uh, hinted at and demonstrated and eventually will just completely spell out for us. Buffy's strength is the fact that she is not the typical slayer and she has friends and she relies on other people. And 
Yeah. Yeah. No, that goes back to the great line in, in school hard. And where again, Spike knows her maybe better than anybody. And he says something like, wow, you know, the, the, the slayer with family and friends that sure wasn't in the brochure. Right. Exactly. And, and fantastic, is- fantastic segue to Spike and school hard because Spike's appearance in this yeah. episode, his return to Sunnydale, uh, sort of parodies his first appearance in school yeah. hard where he crashes through that same sign uh, but it seems less authoritative this time in school hard he like plowed through that sign and this one he just sort of careens through it and yeah. then obviously instead of like stepping out all confidently and and uh you know he's here to take the town uh he falls yeah. drunkenly out of the car um it's a love that's oh, so beautiful. Yeah. So, I mean, so... yeah, I mean, Spike really is one of those characters that I completely forgive being able to do like a drunken buffoon scene <laughs> and he switches to, you know, threatening vampire or he'll be, you know, the quippy guy. <clears throat> What's the soap opera he ends up watching? <laughs> Passions? Passions. Like he's that guy. Yeah. And then he's killer guy. And, and he has such a wide berth for me that, um, I love it. I wanted to say, speaking of the wide berth, um, like I feel like we get that all through this episode, but it's in particularly sharp contrast when we see him in the scene with Willow after he, after he's kidnapped uh, Willow and Xander and he's like sitting next to Willow and he's, he's both threatening her and he's literally crying on her shoulder. Yeah. Um, I, so (laughs) some listeners may take issue with me for saying this since Spike has done and in the future will again do some terrible things, but yeah. um, I'm head over heels in love with the character of Spike. I forgive yeah. him almost anything, but it's really weird. Like knowing him as well as I do as the Spike that he eventually becomes, it's, it's slightly uncomfortable to watch the scene where he is so genuinely threatening to Willow mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Willow is so genuinely terrified and like yeah. brought to tears because he's like holding her hair and about to shove a bottle through her face. Yeah. That was a little, little bit rough. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and she in a, in a big way makes that, makes that scene mm-hmm. because she does, like you say, she goes from terrified. And then if you watch her while he's doing the whole kind of cry on her shoulder monologue, mm-hmm. she has gone to, from terrified to what the hell is going on right, right. this guy and yeah she, she even she even like pats his lap and she's like they're yeah, there they're there yeah they're there yeah so she does this transformation from she's genuinely terrified and Allie i think Allie cries better than anybody on the show absolutely uh, but she is genuinely terrified and then she goes to oh my god what is going on to they're there mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you know uh, she she makes that wide berth work because we we see her go through it. Um, but there, sorry, there's a, there's this joke that I thought of. The scene right before that, when he kidnaps them in the school and he takes them back to the lair, it just struck me as funny that is he just carrying Xander over his shoulder and keeping Allie with him, and they're just going somewhere <laughs> inconspicuously. <laughs> sure, it's Sunnydale. Nobody looks. Nobody blinks twice at these things. Yeah. I was like, oh, they got Xander there somehow, which is just funny, but whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, technically, Spike is supposed to have, like, super vampire strength. It shouldn't be difficult oh, sure. for him to carry. But And sure. all, he, all he has to do is threaten Xander, and Willow would probably follow behind. 
But. Yeah, and I, maybe even Xander was, was passed out still at that point, but he's just over his shoulder, and he's got Willow by the arm, and they're running through the streets of Sunnydale on the way to Belair. You know, you me- you mentioned in Revelations that uh, that uh, Giles suffered, like, genuine injury, and yeah. it's kind of a running joke, and it will continue to be. This isn't the last, like, they they don't let go of the joke, but it is a running joke that Giles just gets, you know, his clock cleaned in practically every episode, like how he does not have brain damage by the end of the series baffles me because he is constantly hit over the back of the head with stuff. So it is, it is interesting that in revelations, like he is, he's knocked out and it looks dangerous. Like it's not just the comic. She smacked him on the back of the head and he's unconscious until someone finds him and then he's fine. No, he's like taken to the hospital. And the next time we see him, he, he still looks woozy. He's bandaged, yeah. but he still looks a little out of it. Yep. Uh, and then the same thing happens to Xander, although Xander recovers pretty quickly. <laughs> like, yeah. like Xander can't can't even stand up um, while he's kissing Willow. But then, but then he does run up the stairs to save Cordy. But anyways, um, it's just interesting that in back to back episodes, someone gets clocked upside the head, and for the first time, it it looks as dangerous as it should. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the great turn here. And going back to to the the seeming, you know, innocuous or uncomfortability or groan of the love triangle to punch the reveal as big as they do here. And I love the way that it's not a cut to them coming in, mm-hmm. um, Oz and Cordy. It's this. It's like a camera move around um, um, Xander and Willow to reveal them standing there and watching it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh man, that's bad. And that's not even the worst of it yet, because Cordy, you know, legitimately gets hurt. Um, Possibly the cruelest fake out that this series ever does is yeah, cutting from Cordy passing out with a chunk of rebar shoved through her torso to a funeral. And you're like, oh my God, what is this show doing? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Cordy will be fine, right? Yeah. Yeah, this one is uh, was written by Dan Weber, who his only other credit on the show is the Zeppo, oh. which is which is another sort of fake out funny but really well done funny episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, that is a great cut, and it and it kind of works because you're not really surprised that Buffy and Willow would be walking through a cemetery for no reason. They probably do that a lot. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they they wander past funerals all the time. All the time. So it actually works, and it, it is it is a it is a very funny in hindsight cut. I guess the surprise here is that uh, anybody in Sunnydale bothers to go through the motions of such a big elaborate funeral. <laughs> I feel like funerals should be pretty perfunctory at this point in Sunnydale. Yeah, and I had not remembered. I think they say in Revelations there are 12 cemeteries. 12 cemeteries. In in Sunnydale, which I, I think we're supposed to buy is, is like, you know, supposed to be like Santa Barbara. That's a lot. That is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that explains why it's so easy. Like, Buffy walks everywhere. Like, she, we almost yeah. never see Buffy driving. So the fact that she can get from her home to a cemetery in a single cut scene makes more sense. If there's a cemetery every three blocks in yeah. Sunnydale. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's see what, what else did we get in here? I love the fact that Xander's able to recognize a love spell. Yeah. Makes total sense. I guess. Sure. I mean, I just think it's, 
he even calls it out by the when he says you know i have a history with this or whatever because of course he did the whole failed love spell with amy oh yeah. yeah um but yeah no so i just i i i almost wish he hadn't called that out i almost wish they had just let that play because when it happened i was like oh that's that's great yeah willow he recognizes a love spell when he sees one you can't trick him out of this because he's done one before yeah and he knows that these no, never end well so a a rare example of xander being uh you know sharp and and also kind of having a point yeah willow this is never gonna work yeah and i know she gets a lot of um and I, this is obviously only in hindsight, but I think she gets a lot of, um, you know, questioning or foreshadowing here of like, oh, this is the beginning of, of Willow relying on magic. And even in hindsight and watching this again, I didn't really feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's only a hindsight thing. I think here she is. It's 100 percent good intention and she is still sort of feeling her way. So I, I, I don't know how I feel about you know pinning too much on her at this point, but whatever, it's fair. No, I absolutely thought about the uh, the fact that this kind of kind of foreshadows the fact that Willow eventually is very comfortable with the notion of messing with her friends' minds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. And you're right. In this context, I mean, she's desperate and and you know maybe not making the best decisions, but it's this is certainly not um, like she has the best intentions here. But, yeah. Um, the Spike Joyce relationship. It's great. Is one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> entire series. I'd forgotten it was so brief, actually. Like, I remembered this scene. I remembered the whole, do you have those little marshmallows? I just love them sitting there having the casual conversation that Joyce is kind of into giving him advice. Yeah. I, I, mean, I remembered it, that going on longer than it did, but. I, I had sort of forgotten. I guess the last time that we, they see each other is in Becoming. Um, mm-hmm. when they're just sitting there and she has the great moment of didn't, you know, didn't you like, Oh, I threatened you with an ax one time, you know, get right. the hell away from my daughter. You right. know, yeah. they have that relationship. Um, and yes, it's very funny because you, in context, you're like, Oh, that's right. She does think that angel's evil and she thinks that spike is okay. Right. Um, and then I did not realize it or i didn't think about it until seeing it this time but spike gives the line of like oh man you just lost your soul again or you know you got your soul back right he doesn't know that angel has been dead and come back i didn't really put that together until you're right you're right i don't i don't think that had dawned on me yeah so he just goes like oh man you got your soul again and he doesn't know it's way bigger than that which i thought was kind of funny yeah huh um so man and then you get and then i think you know you get a great you know vamp battle at the end which is again just sort of you know that that old story trope of compound 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 you know and instead of it being just like oh here's a fight that is going to delay us getting to um to saving willow i mean it basically stops them yeah and it is huge fight that then ends up with the scene in the, in the magic shop. Um, so let's talk about that scene in the magic shop, which I wanted to be the magic box. I like every time they go to some sort of magic shop, I want it to be the magic box. Yeah. Is that the name? That's the name of the magic. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, at once, at one point we see them holding bags that have the store name and I don't remember what it was, but it wasn't the magic box. So anyways, um, but yeah, let's talk about that scene because, um, my 
like my memories of my original uh, go through of the series when it originally aired are spotty at best. But what I do remember is the is how I was falling in love with Spike, and I was almost immediately <laughs> willing to defend Spike uh, really? against. Like I, I do remember, there was a fan base that even back then was not warming up to Spike. They did not. They they just thought he was a bad guy, and we're not going to see anything else in him. Um, so this is kind of one of those episodes that's uh, just burned into my brain because it's one of the early examples of Spike getting a truly, you know, fantastic soliloquy or whatever. Absolutely. Uh, with the great quote, and I'm gonna I'm gonna quote it in its entirety here. Bear with me, where he says, "You're not friends. You'll never be friends. You'll be in love till it kills you both. You'll fight and you'll shag and you'll hate each other till it makes you quiver. But you'll never be friends. Love isn't brains, children. It's blood. Blood screaming inside you to work its will." I may be love's bitch, but at least I'm man enough to admit it. Oh, so sure. great. So great. Yeah. And uh, I love the fact that it actually gives Buffy and Angel pause. <laughs> they actually yeah. hear what he's saying and it ha- and it has an impact on them. Yeah, uh, no. And I think, I think it's, it's like I say, another good example of, of bringing Spike back because that coming from Ethan rain or that coming mm-hmm. from, I don't know, some monster of the week or a, the fact that it comes from Spike, and certainly Angel has a history with him much longer even than Buffy does. But at least Buffy knows who he is, and and you know did side with him in becoming, and did this, and you know that it comes from him, and the fact that he's a villain. So he's like, look, I I don't care that you're hurting. In fact, I hope you're hurting. But let me tell you like it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think gives gives that moment an even bigger punch. I totally agree with you. The other thing that this that that scene and this episode as a whole, but like particularly that scene and the scene where he's crying on Willow's shoulder, um, what this does is it further muddies those waters that I both I love the fact that these waters are so murky, but they, it's also a point of frustration for me so many times throughout the series. The yeah. notion of uh, what is what is good, what is evil, what you know, uh, are are vampires? Does a vampire need a soul to be good? Does a soulless, does a creature without a soul automatically mean evil? Does a creature with a soul automatically mean good? All that stuff. These are even asking these questions out loud right now. I'm like, of course, of course not. I love the shades of gray stuff, but in the context of this series and in particular, uh, sort of the fan response to some of the characters, it's a little frustrating that, uh, like the most obvious parallel here or the most obvious uh, compare and contrast is angel and spike and how, eventually at least angel gets an awful lot an awful big pass for you know what he does with a soul versus what he does without and spike yeah. spike doesn't always get that same pass um and just seeing how genuinely emotional now they 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 make it comedic by having spike be genuinely emotion uh, emotional and and sort of heartbroken uh, while still saying and doing evil things like threatening poor Willow with a broken bottle. Um, mm-hmm. But this is the beginning of us seeing Spike um, that, that uh, actually, isn't there a line later in the series somewhere where, um, and, and I can't remember when or who says it, but somebody says something like uh, vampires can love. We just don't love wisely. Oh, that's a great line. I don't remember, but yeah. I feel like somebody says that. I'm going to have to be on the lookout for that. Uh, listeners, if you if you want to drop us a line and remind me where that is. But anyways, this is just one of those things that 
even on my first go through of the series, this is the stuff I was attaching, attaching to the notion sure. that um, just being a vampire doesn't mean that you can't be in love. And, you know, I, I, I love those shades of gray. Mm-hmm. No, they, they've, I think the series has always done that really well. You know, even even on the good people's side of Buffy lying, and we're, we're, we're in it right now, Buffy lying to Giles that Angel was still around. Mm-hmm. You know, she has her own gray for whatever reason, mm-hmm. as does Cordy and Xander and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. They, they've always done that really well. I think. And is that, in that scene, in that battle, is that the first time that we see Spike stake a vamp? I, I wondered that, too. Um, I'm trying to remember there was the scene when uh, Spike was first offering a truce with Buffy um, and they were attacked. And I can't for the life of me remember if he stakes anybody in that fight or if, if, if they just get in a fight. I, don't, yeah. I genuinely don't remember. But I, 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 did, did, I did feel like when he staked that guy, I, I thought for a second, oh, there's his first yeah. his first dusting of another vampire. but. Yeah, I mean, I know he, he I, and the only thing I could think of is he does, you know, raise the, the cage and kill the anointed one. Right, yeah. Um, but I don't know that we've, I, I could not remember as well, but I actually made a note of, is this the first stake? <laughs> and um, the, I love the fact, uh, again, I, I feel, I think it's this podcast, maybe it's my other, where I talk so much about how I love, um, in fiction, I love any example of characters being being forced to work together. I love examples of teamwork uh, where characters just mesh their, their skill sets, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. just, just magically click together. Um, and so in, in this big fight scene in the magic shop, we get uh, as soon as they are pursued by a group of vampires, they at least temporarily uh, forget that, that Buffy and Angel hate Spike and vice versa, and they cooperate. Like she breaks a chair and she hands a stake, a wood, a broken leg to everybody. Yeah. Like when she handed that that stake to Spike, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. And then when when she said when her and Angel are going to throw the holy water at all the vamps, and she tells Spike to duck, my thought mm-hmm. was, you didn't have to do that. You could have just <laughs> you could have dusted him along with the other vampires. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think you get a double out, not you. I mean, I think one gets a double out there. Um, they foreseeably um, still need Spike to get to Willow. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think in that moment, you know, it's you know, sort of a Custer's last stand thing of, look, we may not like this person, but there's 12 other people out there that are legitimately trying to kill us, so we need every hand on deck. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I buy it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that and and I I usually buy whenever she teams up with somebody like that and then goes no no no, no we're not friends I you know we need this yeah, yeah. We, so I, I think you and I just like Spike so much that we're like yes there he is I, any any example of him like being on the side of uh, yeah the, the angels no pun intended yeah <laughs> I love yeah. that <laughs> um so uh, uh, another little minor nitpick that I just point out because these things are funny is um, here we have back-to-back episodes that demonstrate the sort of the, the fluid nature of vampire consciousness, I guess, because in revelations we had um, 
Gwendolyn Post, Mrs., smack Angel upside the back of the head with a shovel, and it at least temporarily, it didn't last for long, but it, it did put him down for a two or a three count. Sure. Um, but then he, like, pops back up in full vamp face and he's ready to go. Whereas in here, in the big fight in the magic shop, uh, he he gets a door dropped on him. And then, oh, yeah. and then he just lies there semi-conscious under the door until Buffy comes over. And it looks, it. I, I'm reaching maybe here, but it looked like Sarah Michelle Geller had to strain to lift that balsa wood door off of <laughs> poor semi-conscious yeah. angel. I'm like, really? Yeah. Which is, which is, which is at best a three stooges. Kind yeah. Of bit. Yeah. Um, and then, and then they're in the fight and none, neither of them vamp face in this battle, which is a pretty big bad battle oh spike and angel yeah yeah huh. so it's, it's just interesting when they when they put their shields on and when they when they don't but yeah i think i think you know a, a friend of mine was asked you know who is who would fight or who would win between a fight with wolverine and the hulk and his, his answer was absolutely perfect he goes it depends who's writing yeah i absolutely yeah um, and and I think that's I think you, you kind of get yourself into a corner, you get yourself into a situation, and you go, well, he's just going to be down for two beats. Well, you know, he's now going to jump, you know, the side of the Empire State Building because that's what he that's <gasps> yes. those things we need him to do right now. Yeah. Or in the case of Buffy, in the first episode, she can jump over a twelve foot fence, and then fence, yeah. that's the last time we see her do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that was great. I, I hadn't even, I haven't, hadn't even considered the vamp face. I wonder, I wonder what thought process goes into that from the the writers and the production team of when these characters, like, because you could argue maybe they didn't have, they didn't have them go into vamp face because we need to clearly define that Angel and Spike, at least in this fight, are on the side of the good guys. Sure, you could have, absolutely could have. They've been like, look, there's going to be twelve people in this room, a lot of black leather. Let's right. go ahead and say these two guys are are our two guys. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Or or you know in in that big of a fight, um, they could have been like, we're not going to spend the time or the money on making sure the makeup is you know right and kept up. We're just going to have these two guys not be in makeup for this. Right. Because it's a pretty long big fight outside and then inside again. Who knows? Yeah. So I, I do love speaking of the magic shop when Willow goes in for the, the poor, the poor clerk there that's mm-hmm. like, there is this really innocuous conversation of, she says something like, like, Oh, the such and such feathers brew more discontent than the such and such feathers. Um, and it is this, this very innocuous conversation of like the legitimacy of magic in that town. Right. It's not like, Oh, aren't you cute? You're going to try and do this. She's like, Oh no. She's like, okay, yeah, I can see what you're trying to do. Do this instead. And I was just like, Oh, Okay. I just like it because there are more people other than just the Scoobies that are probably a little bit in tune with um, the Hellmouth and or, you know, much like, you know, we know that the police are on the mayor's side. There are other people that are probably doing a little bit of magic and or probably doing their own little battles, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah. I just think that. Again, again, that's what the reboot series is going to be. It's going to be... all about the clerk. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be all the all the other people who are doing slightly exciting stuff yeah. in Sunnydale. Um, so yeah, I what else have we got? These are two. I, I think of Lovers Walk as a big episode. Maybe it's not, but these are two sort of Monster of the Week episodes that I guess 
uh, serve to set up the big stuff that's about to happen? Yeah, I think I, I do. I think it's um, like I said, looking back on it, it's this is a hindsight thing. But looking back on it, it feels like the setup. They're laying a lot of groundwork for what's going to happen over the next whatever it is, 15 episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say it's not, you know, t- not it, it's tough uh, not to love this episode. Um, but then I sort of take a step back and I look at all the eps in season three. Mm-hmm. Just as a, as an arc, and good God, if this isn't perhaps the heyday season of the series. I mean, a lot a lot of people point to season three as as like the high water mark. There is some yeah. there is so much good stuff. I probably also consider. Um, I'm fonder of season four, I think, than a lot of people. Um, well, I have grown to be fonder of four in hindsight. Like you and I were talking off mic about uh, on my other show how I'm my co-host and I are wrapping up our one season at a time uh, retrospective on the X-Files and, oh, right. and how uh, on its original on original viewing when it first aired, I was one of the few people that continued to like the show even into season seven and eight and nine, uh, like the, the, the bad seasons. Like I still defended it back then, but on this rewatch going back and basically binging the entire series from the beginning all the way through to the end, I'm like, what yeah. the hell was I thinking? These la- yeah. these final seasons of X-Files are a dumpster fire. Um, <laughs> so I, I say that I'm fonder of season four than a lot of people uh, having not rewatched season four in the recent past. So we'll see when I get there, if that still holds up, but yeah, um, I love I love bits of all the seasons. I mean, yeah. even even season six has two good episodes. Let's <laughs> see. I'm I'm right but, there with you. This this but, podcast is going to get so fun when we get into season six. Yeah. I have I have a feeling most of my guests will probably be fans of season six, and I'll be like, eh, I'm here. I'm just trying to get to yeah. Angel. <laughs> yeah, but, and cue Michael Holland hate mail from every Spuffy fan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Oh uh, man! Yeah, but I think season three—if you—if you do just kind of take a step back, and especially in hindsight, it—it it really, really resonates. I think just episode to episode, and then how things just really play out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, to your point, I—I I, I do enjoy four. Um, I think a lot of us in the first viewing were really just coming off of three seasons of Buffy and Angel, um, mm-hmm. and I really liked their love story. Um. And then all of a sudden, Angel wasn't there, and you know Riley is a, just a very, very different. Oh yeah, character. he's a very different guy. He's a very different whatever, and very much in hindsight, I like him a lot more than I did the first time. Yeah. Um, and speak, well, speaking of the famous, the famous Spike, you know, speech, um, where he says, "You'll never be friends." I I believe you know in the cookie dough scene. Okay. I think, I think they are. Don't you? Uh, I, I think, again, I try not to be tainted by what little experience I have with the post-series comics. <laughs> because yeah. I know weird stuff goes down in that uh, four-color nightmare. Uh, yeah. Apologies to fans of the comics. But that's, um, a, but that's a canon asterisk, isn't it? I, I like to think so. Everybody's like, no, it's straight up canon. But anyways, um, but in I, I think I think by the end, yeah, by the end, I would say they, well, to borrow your your phrasing, I would say they are friends with an asterisk. Asterisk. Okay. okay. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I love the cookie dough scene, and I and I like I love that he came back for that for the finale and blah blah blah. But I I, I do. Maybe it's just me 
being hopeless romantic for the two of them because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm consistently and have always been a fan of the two of them over over uh, Buffy and Spike. Okay. And I love Spike. So, you know, I'm torn there. But, you know, I, I, I like to think they're friends, you know. All right. Well, maybe that's, uh, you know, that's them. That's a, maybe that's Spike that. gave them the little push they needed to maybe. to say, no, no, we're going to make this work, damn it. Yeah, maybe. I don't think maybe. that's what happened, but <laughs> <laughs> sure. I just want to give Spike credit for everything. Um, yeah. No. I, I was about to take us out, but I have to, I, I'm scanning through my notes. I can't believe I completely forgot to mention uh, how the Oz and Willow uh Pezwitch scene oh, sure. yeah. is just the most precious, adorable thing I've ever seen in my life. And again, Alison Hannigan is a tremendous actress, has been since this series started and only gets better with every single season. And her, her reaction, I love to point out these ridiculously small things that give me so much pleasure. And her oh. reaction when she unwraps that um, is, is so real and genuine and honest that I almost like, I want to know, did Alison Hannigan not know what he was going to give her? Like, was that, was that an actual surprise? Because she plays that off so beautifully. Yeah. I mean, and again, hindsight, but you, that is such a great setup for the, the reveal because, you know, Oz is typically, you know, pretty steadfast and pretty stoic and pretty whatever. And he does the cutest, simplest little thing. And I'm like, oh, Oz. I mean, it's a prime example of the writers making a, reminding us how much we love Oz. And, oh, yeah, yep. by the way, you love Cordelia, too. Look, she puts up pictures yep. of Xander in her locker now. Yep. yep. So that they can pull the rug out from under us and stab yep. us in the back by the end of the episode. And then, sorry, I'm not picking on Oz, but two things, because it just made me think of it. Um, so this is Dan Weber, who, who, who wrote this one. Um, and I think it's in Revelations, actually, sorry, that we see Oz play. Oh, and yeah. Clearly, yeah, yeah. And clearly Seth Green does not play the guitar. <laughs> yes. yeah. But... I mean, every, 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 uh, in the opening credits of every scene, we get to see him playing air guitar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then in, in Zeppo which was a Dan Weber, he, he does say, like, is it, is it really tough to play the guitar? And Oz says, not the way I play it. <laughs> great. That's always great. makes me laugh every time that I see Oz play the guitar. And then in the end montage, when, we're, when we go to Oz thinking about what's happened, he's in the bronze, but the bronze is empty. Right. Like, did, he just, did he just break into the bronze to mope? Uh, or is he, maybe. is he there after a gig? Is he, it's just, funny i I, I hadn't even thought of that i hadn't even thought of that i mean the rules of the bronze are so fluid yes but i do i love i love oz yeah Um, uh, anyway uh, look um more importantly than anything that um we have said so far i just wanted to say thank you for having me on and this has been a blast as i knew it would be well praising me way too much i the check is in the mail i don't know what to say um (laughs) No, I, I genuinely appreciate that you listen to the show and that you reached out. It, it's it's a thrill to me whenever I get feedback from uh, listeners, especially listeners like I, that I don't even know are out there. When I just open the email and I'm like, who's this person? Oh, my gosh, he listens to the show. That's amazing. So uh, thank you again for being a fan and for joining me. And obviously, 
um, you're welcome back anytime. So thank you so there, much. There are, I have, I believe 94 more damn episodes of this podcast that I have to do before I'm Here done. <laughs> so there's plenty of space to fill. Um, but honestly, my pleasure and, and congrats on a, a totally successful and, and absolutely fun show. Well, thank you very much. Uh, yeah. I always give my guests the opportunity if they choose to take it. Do you want to let the listeners know how they can find you online? Oh, um, I do have a blog that I um, I wax mostly about uh, classic films, like good old uh, black and white Hollywood films. But there's there's a lot of Joss on there as well. Um, Blogspot Holland Imaginarium, um, and that's certainly an easy way to find me. Okay, that's nice. Uh, I will. Uh, I'll include a link to that in the show notes then. Sure. So yeah. that's awesome. And then um, I'd like to thank everybody at home for listening. I always thank them for listening from home. And it occurs to me, precious few people probably sit at home and listen to podcasts. You're probably all out there being active and bettering yourselves, like running on the treadmill or actually living your lives. So wherever you are, thank you for listening. Uh, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com. Or you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. While you're there, please rate us or write us a review. There are a couple of other podcasts that I am in uh, heated competition with. That's not true. But any kind words that you could spare about my uh, rinky-dink little podcast would certainly help us stand out from that esteemed crowd. Uh, if you've got questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to share your thoughts on anything we've discussed, please join the conversation. You can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com can follow us on Twitter at cons with dead or reach out to us on the Facebook group. Uh, that's conversations with conversations with dead people. It's my favorite word. So uh, <laughs> next episode, I'm going to be discussing uh, episodes 309, the wish 310 amends and 311 gingerbread. And I still find myself. Oh, those are great episodes. Yes, they are great. Um, I, I still find myself in this weird sort of, uh, limbo between hell dimensions i guess where i i seem unable to get confirmation of a guest um for the next episode by the time i'm recording the previous one so yeah. at the time of recording i'm not 100 percent sure who's joining me next week maybe you the listener who knows tune in next week to find <laughs> out but uh, uh until then whoever happens to join me ger arg everybody ger arg <laughs>